Welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy Show, a Baxter Professional Services production. Welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy Show, where we're experts in nursing and experts in business. I'm Tina Baxter, your host. The Nurse Shark Academy Show highlights nurse business owners and others in the healthcare field who promote entrepreneurship. We interview nurse leaders and encourage them to tell their story. Today's guest is Marikita Joy. And this episode is how one nurse with a passion for writing explores the use of AI to publish books for people with neurological disorders. Welcome to the show, Marikita Joy. My mission is for you to own your seat at the table of nurse entrepreneurship, gaining confidence, skills, and freedom to live your life on your own terms. I specialize in working with nurses and other health professionals who want to reduce burnout, pessimism, and compassion fatigue. So you can become a successful entrepreneur to reclaim the love you have for your profession and to create a fulfilling and prosperous life. Join the Nurse Shark Academy at the NurseSharkAcademy.biz and come fill the sun, providing a clear path for business success. Hi, and welcome to the Nurse Shark Academy show. I'm Tina Baxter, and I'm your host. The Nurse Shark Academy show highlights nurse business owners and others in the healthcare field who promote entrepreneurship. We interview nurse leaders and encourage them to tell their story. Today's guest is Marikita Joy. Marikita is a registered nurse and and an author of over 150 books in just one year. She's uh, from Canada and she's bilingual. She writes about topics important important to nurses, such as how to talk to the idiots on the phone without going insane and the 30 day brain injury book for people with dementia. She loves to help others and she become uh, nurses become authors as well. And she's recently uh, published a book uh, for people with brain injury, TBIs, hydrocephalus, et cetera, strokes uh, that will help them to problem solve and improve the function of their brain. So welcome to the show, Marikita. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much, Tina. Love to be here. So as always, our first question um, is, what made you become a nurse? (laughs) Actually, that was the whole family thing, you know? Mom, mother-in-law, everybody in the family is a nurse and said, you need to be a nurse. A nurse is a good career. (laughs) I never really wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to teach English as a second language. Um, and so I just had a passion for taking care of kids with special needs. I had a special need daughter. And so I went into nursing in the specific way that I knew what I was interested in doing. I didn't do the typical five-year med surge route. So you, so your first year um, as a nurse was working with special needs children? Actually, I was working in uh, mother and baby after labor and delivery. And then I went right from that into Pete's home care, taking care of kids on trachs and vents and that kind of thing. Okay, sounds wonderful. So where did you go to school and get your training? Uh, Purdue, Indiana. Okay, Purdue grad. All right. Yes, Purdue grad and then USF for my master's. All right. Tampa, so, Tampa. All right. So what's your master's in? Public health. Public health. So you have a master, so you have a bachelor's in nursing and then a master's in public health. And so how did you use your master's in public health? Actually, let me take a step back. I started out down the road as many people probably do. And that's why I love to encourage CNAs and everyone to just keep on going. I basically went to school for 25 years from the time my son was little till the time he graduated high school. Mom was still in school. So I started as an LPN 
then I got a two-year nursing degree. Then I went for my business degree in for my bachelor's and then my public health degree master's. I really wanted to be broad. I really did not want to go the nursing track of BSN, MSN. I wanted to be global and look beyond myself. Um, always have been interested to be an entrepreneur. So I wanted to add that business piece to my degree. Well, that's interesting because not a lot of nurses um, have that interest in entrepreneurship. They may have the MBA, MSN type track for maybe hospital leadership or um, academia or something like that. But not a lot of nurses have the end in mind of starting their own business. Me and Tina, like, I mean, you just hit the nail on on the head. Could you imagine right now, like thinking of my kids, you know, in their 20s and 30s, if there was a nursing degree where your specific degree on your bachelor's was nursing entrepreneurship and that was your degree, that just gives me goosebumps. Mm, me Wouldn't too. that be nice if we could have that that available? I mean, I would love to, you know, teach classes in that kind of course track. Wow. That would be amazing. And I think very eye-opening for a lot of nurses. And it's kind of interesting because that's a little bit about what my next book will be on actually is entrepreneurship and nursing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really where it's at. We just need to break that mindset. Like I kind of wonder if we went in and sat in on a nursing class, would we still hear the same mantra of you have to do five years in med search? I mean, I can just, you know, I can go to sleep and hear that in my ears that everyone would always say, you would never be successful as a nurse unless you put your time in in med surge. And I said during clinicals, I am never stepping a day in med surge or I won't <laughs> be a nurse. <laughs> Not my thing. You know, I think I think we do a lot of nurses a disservice by giving them that message. Yes. I, I did uh, two years in med surge as a nurse tech. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're kind of that same thing of work your way up, like I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. I started out as a CNA, worked as a home health aide at the hospital. Also got on as a nurse tech. So I got to do the med search stuff before I graduated. So when I was graduating, I had the choice of psychiatry or med surge, and I chose psychiatry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, no med surge. Psych no, I, I really wanted to talk to the individuals and learn about their stories and how they got where they are and how we can help them get better. So for me, med search just wasn't my calling. Like I knew OB was never going to be my calling. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew so- nursing homes at that point were not going to be my calling. And I've come around 360, but at that point in my life, I was not doing a nursing home wasn't my thing. So yeah, we, you know, we, I wish more nurses knew what they knew, what they knew, what they wanted rather than just following along because they don't know what they want. Right. I, I th- and I personally think if, if you're unsure, yeah, starting a med search might be a good way to introduce you into other fields that you may want to get in mm-hmm. like cardiac and telemetry and peds and ER, you know, but if, if you know, where you want to go go there why wait <laughs> yes don't wait um tina and i are both telling everyone that's listening don't wait you know what you want to do go after it that's right that's right so well, and it's what... interesting when you're talking about psych because mm-hmm. um 
quickly I transitioned out to working for Humana. I worked for Humana when health coaching did not exist. I was in the very first pilot of health coaching, which was called personal nurse back in the day with Humana, like we're talking 93, Mm -hmm. where Humana said, hey, we found that this drastically affects our ROI, right? Our return on investment. If we can have nurses trying to help people, you know, change their behavior, change their weight, whatever it is we want to do. So they brought in gurus to teach us psych techniques, by the by, of many of you may be aware of this if you're working in psych as a nurse, of what's called motivational interviewing, right? Yes. It's the Mm -hmm. big technique towards substance abuse to be helping with people with dependency issues. And so I became a motivational interviewing expert. Now, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's not a motivational talk. It's an actual like counseling technique that just happens to be the name of it. Um, And so when I wrote the book that I just wrote called How to Talk to Idiots on the Phone Without Going Insane, which is dedicated to case managers, it totally weaves in the, the techniques of motivational interviewing. It's based upon that how to be able to use those those techniques that you can actually get the person to not know that you're kind of messing with their head so that you can handle all those nasty phone calls we all have to deal with where people are, you know, lazy or don't care or make you just want to go insane. Um, um, so I've found that to be extremely useful to my career of just being introduced to motivational interviewing. You know, it's so interesting you say that because there's a lot of techniques that we are taught in nursing that we don't know where they come from. And so we kind of um, sort of downplay the skills that we have, right? Because we don't understand the uh, theoretical underpinning of what we do know. And so nurses tend to downplay what they bring to the table. And I'm I'm out there wanting to change that. If you became a nurse... Yes. And you pass that NCLEX. You are an expert. You are an expert. <laughs> 99.9.999% of the people know nothing of what you know. You are an expert. You pass that course, you know, the exam. Yes. Yeah. I mean, now, granted, we all grow in our knowledge. I'm not going to say on day one, you know everything, right? I, and I'm going to say on day <clears throat> 1,000, whatever. I don't know everything, right? But... <laughs> We are experts in our fields and we need to own that. And when we start talking that way and carrying ourselves that way, we walk into the boardroom a whole lot differently. We do. We do. Because we have that piece. So for an example, when, you know, because you're psych, when we talk about motivational interviewing, right? So I know that I can talk to anyone and I can throw out an open-ended question, right? Whether it's something going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, um, like, well, you know, tell me a little bit more about your, you know, your parents' marriage. Just, I'm just, you know, making up the silly right. example. And I know that if I sit in my head and count to 10 and stay quiet, you will start talking. Like that's that psych technique that we've learned of what we call chicken. That's what I call it in the book is, you know, playing chicken with people. So if you say to someone, how are you going to help me resolve my my you know bill of my cable and then you just shut up and don't keep talking 
you put that person on the spot and they will have to respond. And those are techniques that you can learn just like you would learn if you were learning sales techniques or, you know, negotiating yes. techniques. And they work, they work, they work. I, I always laugh when I can tell myself, okay, I'm almost to 10. And as soon as I get to 10 in my head, that person starts talking. It always, <laughs> works. always works. I love to use the cognitive dissonance in motivational interviewing. Because I like to get to the place of saying, okay, I've heard what you said. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying. You you, you really want to lose those last 10 pounds, okay? But then you just told me that you went and bought this entire uh, chocolate cake and ate it sitting in your, the closet of your bedroom. So how is that going to help you then lose that 10 pounds? And so I say that, and then I just sit back and wait for them to talk. And you just say that in that nice, neutral, flat voice where you're not like questioning them or really judging. You're just like repeating it back to them, like no judgment. And then they just come, right? Then they just start. "Ah." They're like, oh, you're right. (laughs) And then I might counter with, well, might I suggest you consider (laughs) not baking a chocolate cake and maybe making a fruit salad instead? How would that make you feel? <laughs> and, then, and then let them decide, and, you know, because the ball is in your court, right? We're not going to make you change your Exactly. Habit, right. But we can help you to see where you're, you're lying to yourself. Exactly. Your right? goals are not lining up with what you're doing, with what your yeah. activities are. And I think that for anyone, like when I wrote my book, obviously it's focused for case managers, but using those same kind of techniques to be able to try to keep calm when I want to go off at, you know, the cardiologist office, I'm trying to schedule an appointment and the rude receptionist is like, well, let's see, um, we have something in like January of 2024. And I'm saying, well, um, he had a heart attack yesterday. He's supposed to have a follow-up in a week. Well, I don't know what to tell you. There's nothing until January, 2024. And so I really have to take a breath myself because it's sometimes like I forget all the techniques that I know how to use because it just triggers me, right? Triggers those buttons and you just want to say, you know, like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Ah!" And you have to take a deep breath and go, okay, you know, these techniques, you use them with people. You need to now use them here and take a deep breath. And I would love it if we can teach more and more people how to do that so that you walk away not wanting to, you know, have a stroke. Because sometimes I get off those calls and I literally feel like I'm going to have a stroke because they piss me off so badly when I'm trying to help a patient. Yeah. And it can be very frustrating calling the insurance company and saying, I would like my patient to have this medication because they've tried this and this and this and they don't work. And they're like, well, have you tried this? Well, no, but that's out. They can't pay for that. It's too expensive. Or no, they don't want that because they're trying to lose weight and this causes weight gain. And then they're saying, well, we will only pay for this. I said, so when my patient then goes off the deep end and they become suicidal, should I tell them to come see you? And it is hard. I mean, it is hard when you're wanting to advocate and not, you know, yeah. and not, not get that little bit of snarky attitude that we want. Yes. You know, that I, snark, I, you know, right? and I, I admit I only did that one time, but that person was being very obstinate. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay, well, I'll tell you what, 
I'll give them your address and I'll tell the patient to come see you and you'll tell them what you think they should have. Oh, no, 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 we didn't mean that. I said, no, but that's what you're telling me, right? <laughs> yeah, and the- I, was, I was very frustrated that day. I'm not that snarky. <laughs> But you were doing it because you're trying to advocate for your patient. That's the thing. You know, you're doing it to help somebody. And that's when you really feel like you're an, an advocate and you want to be a strong advocate. And so it's it's hard to just stay, yes. okay, chill, well, whatever. Because you know that that person's going to suffer by the decision. Right. But what I also want them to see is that, you know, maybe avoiding getting someone in the hospital will be a lot cheaper than yes. paying the extra five bucks for this pill. And so I said, yeah. well, maybe what we need to do is to take it to a doctor to doctor so that I yeah. can talk to them and make it reasonable so they can understand because then they'll come back with, well, you have to do what's in your best clinical judgment. I said, but yes, but if my patient is on Medicaid and they can't afford the medication, how are they going to get it? And so we talk about those things, <laughs> you know? Right. No, the, those, though, the, the patient advocacy things and the medication the medication issues is, is stuff I was actually dealing with just before the call. So huge, huge triggers for, for yes. all nurses. And I think if you're at bedside, you might not be as exposed to that more. But once you're out in the community in any type of situation, whether that's in the office or case management like I do, um, those kinds of things really become sometimes the worst headache of your job. I try to remember that the person on the phone oftentimes isn't the person making the decisions. They're just reading from a script mm-hmm. and they're just doing what they're told. And I have to, you know, and I try to remember that. I said, I, it, good example, talking to the cable company, right? You get very upset with the cable company or are you? Yes. Um, and I would say, well, you know, you're the worst cable company because you punish your longtime customers by increasing our prices and taking away the services and then giving us redundant channels that we actually don't want and so i said so how is this of benefit to me and they're like i understand what you're saying i'm so sorry this is happening i said i understand it's not your fault but i also know that we are on a recorded call and the more times i tell you this maybe it will sink in but then you know i decided to actually pull the plug so that relationship sadly as far as the television has come to an end. Yes, we are in that same situation as well. And I that is one of the tips I say in, in my book about those kinds of things is people, if you haven't worked in a call center, you don't know how they work, right? And so mm-hmm. recorded, you can tell the person, hey, please make sure this is flagged for QA. I want a supervisor to pull this call. There you go. So that's and, like- it, and it doesn't help if you get upset and angry and yell at them because all they're going to do is say, that's a crazy person and hang up. Exactly. Right? If that call is pulled for QA, then you're the one that sounds and you just gave them a perfect example of, of why you're a difficult you know, person. You just certainly don't look like you were the victim. Precisely. And so th- those are just things that I think would help us in our everyday interactions when you're standing there with the patient or the family member yelling at you realizing that most often or not they're not really mad at you they're mad at the situation they need somebody to take it out on i am certainly not saying being a punching bag because you know i'm a big advocate for nurse safety and safety of all healthcare professionals 
But there comes a point where you can politely say, I appreciate that you are upset. And this matter is very distressing to you. I will do my best to accommodate your needs. However, I will have to establish boundaries and I will not allow you to be yelling at me. <laughs> so Listen, we're going to have to end this conversation. Right now. Listen to that so kindly, so nicely. Years of practice. Yes, that's for sure. Years of practice. And I did that once in the nursing home where this daughter was just going off and I don't know what her deal was, but she started to lecture me about the neurobiology and the biological uh, underpinnings of addiction. My, by, mind you, her, her mother was not addicted. Her mother had been on a medication for several years to manage pain and anxiety, right? She's, she wasn't an addict. Right. She, was in, she was towards the end of her life. So I knew this, right? But then she kept going on about this. And I said, ma'am, I am agreeing with you. <laughs> You're wanting to argue with me, but I am agreeing with you. And I said, well, it seems like you are not listening to anything I said. And by the way, I did teach the course on this. So I am agreeing with you, right? I said, so I'm going to terminate this call now. If you have any further questions, talk to your brother. <laughs> Click. And the staff were just like, I can't believe you did that. So I was on the phone with her for 15 minutes. She, they're like, we, we're always on the phone with her for an hour. I was like, listening to that? No, no, no. I said, the more you feed into it, the more they'll get into doing it. So, yeah, we're, we're getting going down the rabbit hole of the psych stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, just very. But just taking that back full circle, um, for any of the nurses listening, if you are looking to expand out to what you want to do, whether that's um, writing books that we'll talk about for a minute, consulting, you know, anything outside of the typical nurse arena, I strongly encourage a course in motivational interviewing. It's so widespread now. There's lots available online because it really gives you that that baseline of what you take it from there. And it, it's really not just a psych thing. It, it's applicable in all sorts of aspects of your nursing business. Not even that, but try using it with your kids. Yes. <laughs> Oh, Anna says, Mom, don't don't say to me one more time on a scale of one to ten. Don't even tell me, Mom, I'm not listening. On a scale of one to ten, Anna, how important is it to you that you um, get to watch your show tonight and therefore take your shower? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it can be used in a lot of different things, but it, it helps you to stop and realize what your priorities are. And that's key. Take a take a take a breath. Yeah. So, so you go sorry, ahead. You, you mentioned that you were always interested in entrepreneurship. What made you interested in going that route? And how did you make that leap from being a a bedside nurse to well, you know, bedside meaning active, you know, working. I know yeah. you're still working, uh, to entrepreneur. I grew up in an entrepreneurial um, household. My dad owned a book company. When I was a kid growing up, we didn't have a TV till I was 15. So I became a book addict from, from little on up. Um, always went to yearly conferences with all the new authors. So I kind of grew up in the book world. 
However, that does not mean that therefore you think, oh, well, you know, books were easy for you. You grew up in it. Not the case at all. Um, last year I was involved in a really bad shooting <laughs> where I was driving to someone's um, house, got out of the vehicle and somebody just gunned down the, the back alley, just machine gu gunning everywhere. And oh, wow. I had to um, dive under my car. It was very, very scary for a little while. And that just kind of triggered me to say, you know what, you're working 24 seven, you need to do something that's you're passionate about. And just by coincidence that week came into, you know, one of the courses that you find on Facebook and things like that and did some research and decided that it was time to take the plunge. And I learned how to do books and create books and write books on Amazon. And it's just gone crazy since there I've written written and published 150 books since last year. That's amazing. That's amazing. Fun, so, fun, fun hobby. Yes. So, so tell me about, you know, you say hobby, but you know, it's gotta be more than a hobby. It's gotta be a passion. If you write 150 books, right? <laughs> well, it, it is. So I would say half of my books are either um, art therapy books, all sorts of adult coloring books um, and different types of things, you know, or mandalas with quotes, inspiration, things like that, or journals. Um, so half of my books kind of fall in that line of trying to decrease anxiety and help with fine motor skills. And then my other half of my books are, I have a two set series of time travel novels. Um, time travel back to the Civil War where a naval pilot girl falls in love with a Civil War slave. I got so tired of seeing all of those um, Scottish time travel Fabio looking guys. And I was like, no, I want a guy of color to be my love interest. I'm sick of seeing all these Fabio guys on the cover. And so um, what I have found and like what the, the secret of my sauce is that any nurse can explore is that there's just so much out there now since COVID. So you can subcontract and work with people. You don't have to do it all, you know, like think of old school, like Murder, She Wrote, typing up on a typewriter. You know, some of my books, I put together the full outline and then I subcontract out to a writer. You can call it ghostwriter. You can call it collaborator, whatever. They write chapter by chapter. Then I edit it to death of what I want. So it's still my book, but I don't have to take the time of actually writing the words. Saves me a lot of of um, writer's block. Um, so there's so many ways to do it. There's a great app called Fiverr that has subcontractors from doing your covers to proofreading to formatting. So it's really now more that you're a project manager um, when you're into books and publishing than maybe the old school day of you wrote your book and now you're trying to find a publishing house. And, there, and I think that's kind of important for um, nurses to know that you have a story to tell and writing a book, a memoir, uh, or your favorite fantasy novel, that, that may be a great outlet for you and that you don't have to um, go the traditional route. And, and I think that's something that's changed over the years because it used to be, you know, that self-publishing was kind of looked down on, but now with the rise of Amazon and everything else, yes. even established authors are doing it. Absolutely. Established authors are definitely going indie. And you're right. There's always been that that stigma, um, you know, even now as as a well-published self-author, 
you, you couldn't convince my father that I'm a well-published author in his mind, because if I'm not with one of the standard publishing houses he worked with, I'm not a real author. So you know, <laughs> the old school's going to eventually go with, the, go with the passing, because when you go with a publishing house, I mean, it takes 18 months or more to get your book out. I mean, you, 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 I'm sure know how that goes. And with indie publishing, I mean, I can have a novel out in six weeks with full cover, you know, perfect graphics, proof typed, all good to go in six weeks so the turnaround time is much much better you could probably have a series of six novels done in six months and you wouldn't even have one done with a with a standard publishing house and i, I think that's kind of important to for people to hear because when you think of publishing a book a lot of people think it's very daunting i know <laughs> i initially did um it, it was like okay i don't even know where to start and i have to take a course like yep. you did yeah kind of opened up how to um get your book published shout out to pat Iyer. i was in her group mm. and um so there's a lot of uh, great things that you can do um and, and publish on and so you mentioned your you you have the art therapy books but you talked about your historical fiction books so yes um what made you decide to go the fiction route? I'm just curious because you're doing both. So yeah, well, I've I've kind of went down a couple genres. I have the um, self help books, such as the one we talked about of how to talk to idiots on the phone. The mm -hmm. cover, by the way, is just <laughs> the lady is just going insane on the cover. Um, and then I have another self-help book called I Was Catfished, Don't Be Me. And it shares my story of being catfished as, as well as a whole bunch of tips of helping people avoid being catfished. Um, so I, I was kind of starting down that self-help track. And then I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do my novel. Everybody's always has that novel in their head that they want to do. Yes. And I was completely glued into Outlander all during all during COVID. <laughs> I think I've read the Outlander books like four times and they're like 1,200 pages each. Um, so I, I wanted to do time travel and just thought, okay, well, this is my, my shot to do it. Now, fiction is a huge market, you know, to get into. I mean, time travel is like the most competitive there is. But this week I was so excited. My second novel came out on the 14th on my birthday. So when you're an indie publisher, you can pick the day you wanna publish your book. So my right. second book came out on my birthday. Um, and my first novel was number one in time travel and in Christian historical fiction on Amazon on Thursday and Friday. All right, congratulations. So, yeah, as you get into the, the works of books, you know, it'll. It, numbers come and go with Amazon, new books come and go. So it's not like you're going to placehold that that spot for even, you know, even a week. But to be on that for even a day, 24 hours is huge. So that was a that was a big accomplishment because book two came out giving a lot of, you know, of marketing and and press. And so then book one just shot to the top, at least for that little bit in time. So um, but it's very, very competitive. Um, the staying in the kind of how to space can be an easier way to get in and find a niche that no one has touched on. There's so much stuff. I mean, I was looking at patient advocacy for any of you nurses, you know, go out and look and see what's out there on patient advocacy, how to be a patient advocate, how to help your family members. There is so little out there and what is out there is just so poorly written. It's a huge, huge, huge space that's left wide open. And I don't know why, you know, not enough of us nurses have gone to write something that really would be a nice handy tool for families to use. You know, simple things like some of the tips I literally tell people is 
if you know you have a doctor or surgeon that comes in the room for two minutes and they're going to just blare in and leave, you just quietly, like, let's say I'm with my daughter and she's the patient. I'll just quietly go as he's talking to her and stand by the door. Not nothing, you know, nothing intimidating. I just happen, you know, there's no space in the room. I stand by the door. Well, guess what? He's not leaving. He's answering our questions, right? So right. there's a lot of subtle things that we could teach people of how to better prepare for appointments, how to be a better advocate. Um, also, it would help, you know, just from the provider standpoint, it would help if you would start your appointment, you know, I'm going to ask my questions, but if we, you know, after I say, hello, Hari, I'm fine. I, I know you have to ask your questions, but I have some things I want to ask too. Why? Because that prepares the provider to ask, answer your questions. If you wait to the end of the visit, I finished pr printing all the stuff in. I'm giving you a prescription to say, oh, by the way, oh, by I the also way. wanted something for sleep. <laughs> right. Well, that's a whole other assessment. That's a whole <laughs> other follow. And you always wait to ask. Everybody always waits. If they're not trained, they ask at the very end, right? Doctor's got his hand on the door handle. And that's when you're like, five more questions. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I said, well, is this something that we can have at your next appointment let's schedule an appointment in a week or two and maybe we can address that if it's not urgent you know uh so there's ways to, to do that and then have them come back okay we're going to talk about this in depth or this needs more testing or let's do this so yeah i i try to get my patients to tell me what they want <laughs> in the beginning yeah, it's a whole lot in, easier it would be so nice if we could train providers that way um, so on that on that train of thought, we created my daughter and I, who is um, who is a patient, and she's had twenty brain surgeries, so she's lived in the hospital pretty much half her life. We we created a planner that's not like your you know those thick planners that you buy that are like five hundred pages and have a million trackers of you know did you eat did you poop did you walk did you do whatever that are just useless that nobody is going to use. We right. made a nice condensed planner that has a calendar without dates, so you can use it at any point. It doesn't expire. You have to throw it out at the end of the year. Um, and it has pages where you actually have a summary of each visit that you can write in. And most planners are all about planning, but they don't actually give you like a nice sheet that says, you know, what happened in the visit, what are our next steps. Um, and then the funniest thing that I thought was adorable is my daughter said, mom, everybody has to wait so long. And then, then if, you know, if you have chemo or anything else going on, she's like, we're putting games in the back of the planners. <laughs> so all of the planners <laughs> have like word searches and dot finds and doodle things, <laughs> not for kids, you know, for all of us. Cause we're sitting in there and we're, we're bored waiting. And she's like, yeah, my planners are going to have things to do in the back. So That's that was, a, you know, that was a unique touch. So we have like, it's the same planner, but we have covers on it from cancer to heart conditions to brain injury, you know, however it, it tracks for different people and different injuries. <clears throat> and it's really gone over well, especially for um, cancer patients. They've really, really taken to her planners. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That sounds wonderful. And so the, how did, the main how did, thing is just that there's a niche, you know, if you're a nurse, there's a niche, look for it. Yeah, that's, you know what? And we talked about that, um, uh, how to, how to niche down, right? May, yep. I was talking to a nurse and she was like, oh, I really just like to bake and I like to cook and I like to do this. I said, and she was like really into healthy food and all this stuff. I said, well, 
if you want to cook and things like that, why not create a business where you're creating meal plans that are tailored for people who have special diets because no one's doing it. No one's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely, I mean, that's huge to be able to take what she likes and what she's passionate about and then find that spot that's, you know, that's wide open and, and is in desperate need. Exactly. Blue ocean, blue ocean, blue ocean. (laughs) 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 That's just, yeah. Um, So there's, um, there's an app. It's not an app. It's a, it's a program if you download on your computer, but if any nurses want to go take a look at it, it's called publisher rocket. And it actually lets you type in and search for different, competition keywords uh categories and it will show you it even it even does red light green light yellow light and tells you hey this topic is like totally overkilled it's red don't go for it hey this topic is green you typed in you know i don't know planting hangers from my light switch you know and it will say <laughs> hey this is like you know two million people search for that on amazon this is a great topic and it's a small it's a good niche so it helps you ahead of time don't just write a book because you always wanted to write a book about feather pillows. Make sure you do your homework first and that you're writing about something that you know is either not too competitive or is a topic that other people want. Okay. So that's publisherrocket.com and I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Yeah. I think that's a really great way to start just to be able to get some idea generation going and really knowing what the market is. I mean, you can be really amazed on there. It talks about the sales of different books. So for an example, I can type in a coloring book. There's, there's a, there's so many dumb coloring books out there that make a ton of money. So there's a coloring book that's called cat butt or, or yeah, cat butts and it's coloring cats butts. Um, and it will show you, this is how many they sell a month. This is how much money they make a month on this book for any title on Amazon. So that's a real eye opener. And it also, you know, is a motivator. If you think, wow, they can make that kind of money on that cat butt coloring book. I can do better than that, you know, to encourage nurses to go, wow, okay, there is a market. Hmm. You know, I remember going to nursing school and the one thing that I really liked was the anatomy coloring book. Oh, I remember that too. Yes, I did too. But I, the biggest frustration I had with that yeah. was that sometimes the pictures were kind of small. Yep. And so they were really hard to do. So maybe doing a large print anatomy coloring book. See? You know, and that old book, it's still out there. That is still one mm-hmm. of like the, the stead, you know, the go-to books for anatomy is that same old coloring book. There is so much um, niche pieces you could do. Um, and then the, here's just one last other quick idea for nurses when you're just trying to get into to book writing. So <clears throat> books lose their copyright after 100 years, and they are now then called a public domain book. So anyone can use that, um, that book, the content of the book, once copyright is gone. There is uh, different websites, but there's one in particular called Gutenberg Press, gutenbergpress.org, where any public domain book is there. So Amazon lets you republish a public domain book. So you didn't have to write anything. You didn't have to spend any money on anything. You can publish the book as long as you do something different to it. That could be as easy as adding a quiz in the back of the book. 
um, making an extra picture, writing a little promo or bio in the beginning, but something has to be a little bit different on the book in order to sell it. And then you can get um, an artist on Fiverr, for an example, to make you a, a new cool cover. And there you go. That's your first book example on practice the whole art of publishing and what, what you have to do to upload files and so on to publish a book. Very inexpensive and a great way to start. So I have three books. I have Dracula, I have The Count of Monte Cristo, and I just printed Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They are all under my pen name of Marita Morgan. And the ebooks are only 99 cents on Amazon. So the price point is super low. I mean, you don't have to put it that low. You can put it higher. But by putting it low like that, I sell maybe 10 or 20 of them a day. <clears throat> and I just make really, really, really cool modern type covers. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm working on Frankenstein right now. Ooh, that would be great and fun. Yeah, so that's a, like an easy, quick way to get into it, right? Because everyone says, well, this is all so expensive. How do, I, how do I even start? And that's a really great, easy way to start is with a public domain book. A nurse's take on Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so much medical stuff. Oh, my gosh. When you start digging in there, there's all these really cool old, you know, nursing books or medical journals, things from the 1800s that are, could be really cool to republish. Yeah. And so, so and so you're because we've had a um, and it's coming up soon. We've had different types of authors and writers on there. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you have your own company. Uh, what's the name of your company? AMJ Books. AMJ Books in Maryland. Anna Marikita Joy, my daughter and my initials, AMJ Books. And we're in Maryland. Awesome. All right. Yeah. And all our books are listed on our website, but they all just then take you directly to Amazon. But they're all they're all out there on display. We have, like I said, I use different pen names. And that's something fun to always create and decide is, do you want to publish everything under your own name? Do you want, you know, different genres for different names? Okay. It's a lot of fun to explore. So, yeah, I definitely encourage nurses to go out there, do some homework, you know, dig around, watch some YouTube videos on how to publish books, because any any one of you can do it. All right. So, um, lastly, as we get ready to wrap up, if you had one piece of advice for a budding entrepreneur, a budding artist or writer, what would it be? To go for it not be scared, not let all the what ifs, and to know that things don't have to be perfect. People get so stuck up on wanting it to be a thousand percent instead of knowing that they could do 10 times as much if they did it at 80%. My stuff might not be a thousand percent perfect, it might be 80% perfect, but that allows me then to be able to do the volume that I need to do and really not be stuck into that perfectionism, which I really think makes people just frozen in their tracks. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you because I know we can talk for hours oh, because we've done it before. <laughs> so um, I just want to remind everyone that in the show notes, you'll have uh, Mary, um, um, 
I'm going to say it wrong, Marikita's yeah. <laughs> information. Um, and I'll put those links into the show notes. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Nurse Shark Academy show. Uh, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel or give us a review on our uh, podcast channel uh, through Podbean or Apple, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcast. I appreciate the love. And also please share our content to others so that we can have more great nurses come on and tell their story. Thank you for tuning in and bye-bye for now. Thanks everyone. Attention nurses, looking to take your nursing knowledge and turn it into a viable business? Ready to take action, but don't know where to start? Join the Nurse Shark Academy. We support nurses as business owners and leaders. We offer career and entrepreneurial coaching for nurses or other healthcare professionals. Whether you're a brand new nurse, a seasoned health professional, or building a startup, join a community of support. Entrepreneurship can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Our career and business coaching services are designed to help you achieve the life or balance you desire. Our experienced coaches will help you identify and attain your career and business goals, enabling you to become more successful in both your personal and professional life. I'm Tina Baxter. I founded the Nurse Shark Academy because I believe every nurse is a hero on his or her own epic journey. Nurses are launching new businesses every day. You don't have to do it alone. Join the Nurse Shark Academy and get the support, training, and coaching that you need to launch your successful nurse business. Become a member at the NurseSharkAcademy.biz. Thank you for listening to the Nurse Shark Academy show wherever you get your podcasts or watching us on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and don't forget to hit the notification bell so that you'll know when all of our episodes come out. If you want further information, you can contact us on the nurse shark academy.biz.